morning everybody. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, we're excited to be back. Uh, we've been in a little interruption here with a new move to Camarillo. We're getting adjusted. Uh, I just want to announce that we will be resuming our Bible studies tonight. Uh, we can be going through the, the book, of Don't, book Don't Let Me God. Uh, on Sunday nights we're actually taking a pause here uh, for a little while. But we're going to actually resume that tonight. 6 o'clock, uh, we live on Facebook Live, just as we are now. Uh, everything that we do, our Sunday morning services, our Bible studies that we record live stream are all archived on our, our website at lighthousediscipleship.org. If you want to look at the previous uh, lessons on our Bible study, you can go there. Again, lighthousediscipleship.org. Uh, go to our, our messages page, and you'll, you'll find a series on Don't Limit God, our Bible study. Um... Uh, we are looking to start another Bible study soon. I don't have an uh, uh, ETA on that, excuse me. Uh, but uh, anyway, we do also, while I'm here, we do have our Bible classes ongoing. They're free. You just have to register so we can uh, connect with you, uh, at least on a, on a little, uh, uh, some level. And then uh, well, we have free Bible classes on our website as well at lighthousediscipleship.org. Without any further ado, let's go ahead and jump into our, our message this morning. We've been talking the last few weeks. We've had a couple interruptions here, but we, uh, we shouldn't have any more interruptions going forward, uh, at least for a while. We don't usually interrupt Sunday morning, so we're, we're going full throttle. But we've been talking about walking in the fear of the Lord. Uh, I don't know if I'll wrap it up today. Uh, and then we'll be starting a new series next week, possibly, if I finish today, depending on how we do. So without further ado, go ahead and show me to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. And we'll pick it up in verse 31. Acts chapter 9, verse 31. And this has been our key verse throughout this series. Uh, we haven't spent a lot of time on it except for last week. And I'm just going to use it to springboard our message this morning. And Luke writes, and he says, Then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified, and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. The early church, it says that as they walked in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. Uh, you know, as we walk, you know, this topic, this subject of the fear of the Lord is not very popular. It's not popular uh, for a lot of different reasons. Uh, one, people don't understand it. Two, uh, people are just they're afraid of the fear of the Lord. You know, anytime you use the word fear in anything, people are just going to shy away from that. Uh, for those of us who, who are, are grace teachers or grace uh, embrace the, the gospel of grace, the gospel of Christ, uh, from a, a grace perspective, they shy away from it too because we, we uh, many of us believe that it's not based on our performance. It's not based on our performance. It's based on his performance. If it's based on our performance, we don't need Christ. And that, that, uh, uh, but at the same point in time, grace teaches us to live godly. Grace teaches us to deny ungodliness. 
grace teaches us and sets us free from sin. Doesn't enable us to sin, it sets us free from sin. And even in this series on the fear of the Lord, the fear of the Lord will help us to perfect holiness in our lives. It will, it will, it, it, walking in the fear means to hate evil, to hate, uh, uh, I'm trying to get the word, um, uh, arrogance, pride, uh, a forward mouth, and, and, and whatnot. And so uh, there's nothing in this message, there's nothing in the grace message, there's nothing in any of this that is enabling anyone to sin. Uh, again, that would be Antichrist as well. Uh, we're not against Christ, it's all about Christ. Uh, but we're, when we're talking about the fear of the Lord, we're talking about reverencing Him. We're talking about being in awe of Him. We're talking about respecting God and His Word. Respecting, uh, honoring God and His Word. And more specifically, we've been spending a lot of time talking about how we need to trust God. We need to rely on God. Uh, and not ourselves, not others, but we're trusting God. And so, uh, so as the early church walked in the fear, it's a walk. It's not just a one-time experience. It's not just something we do on Sunday mornings. It's not just something we do to become born again. It's, uh, it's, not, and, and it's, it's a walk. It's a lifestyle. And we're talking, as the early church walked in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the, <coughs> and the, comfort of the Holy Spirit, they, the church, was multiplied. And uh, we're not seeing a lot of multiplication in some ways, in some churches, in some aspects today, uh, because people are not walking in the fear of the Lord. There's not a respect, there's not an honor for God and His Word, and, as it should be, and whatnot. I don't know about you, I'm saying all this to say this, I want to walk in the fear of the Lord. I want to, I want to walk in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. In other words, let me say this, I want to trust God. I want to honor Him. I want to respect Him. I want to reverence Him. And I do, and, 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 and I want to see, I want to be effective in reaching this world, even in the climate that we live in, even in the, in the, in the climate that we live in these last days, I want to be effective in not just reaching one, but reaching many in multiplication, because I'm walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And so, with that in mind, go ahead and turn with me to the book of Joshua. Joshua chapter 4, Joshua 4, we'll pick it up in verse 23, towards the end of the chapter. Now Joshua, in many ways, represents the children of Israel walking into the promised land. And it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a place of rest, it's a place of fulfillment. It's a place, I believe, in many ways, the promised land is an Old Testament example of what we should be experiencing as Christians. How I many of you know that we were born into victory? Paul talks about this in Ephesians chapter 2. He talks about this throughout his letters. But we are born into victory. We have our victory in Christ Jesus. We have a land to conquer. We are conquests. We are, we are the people of God. And, and I want to enter into all that God has provided for me in Christ Jesus. And so there is a promised land. There is, and we, yes, there is going to be a day that we will be with Him. Jesus is coming again. And we will be with Him for all eternity. But I believe that His kingdom come, His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
I believe there's a life, there's a great salvation, there's a promised land we can be experiencing now. And because Jesus said it this way, this eternal life is not going to in heaven. Praise God, we're going to heaven. We don't want to go to hell. But we at the same point in time, uh, eternal life by definition, according to the words of Jesus in John chapter 17, verse 3, eternal life is having, I'm going to paraphrase it, is having a relationship with God. Having a relationship with God through Jesus Christ is how, it is what eternal life is. You can't have eternal life with God without having a relationship with Him. And you can't have a relationship with God without Jesus. There's no way. You might know about God. You might believe, believe in God. But you, we need to have a relationship with Jesus. And we can only have that by receiving Christ as our Lord and our Savior. Okay? And as we have Christ as our Lord and Savior, as Paul said, I'm crucified Christ. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And that Christ who lives in me is going to walk in the fear of the Lord and the cup of the Holy Spirit. That Jesus who's in me is not going to walk in sin. It's not going to walk in debauchery and other, other forms of wickedness and ungodliness. Hopefully not making sense with this. Um, but here we are in Joshua chapter 4. They're entering to the promised land. And this is what God says. He says, For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan before you until you have crossed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up before us until we had crossed over. Verse 24. That all the peoples of the earth <coughs> me, may know the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty that you may fear the Lord God forever. God demonstrated his supernatural work in not only in the life of Joshua, but in all Israel, so that all the people of the earth may know the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty, and that you may fear the Lord your God. When people see the supernatural work of God in our lives, in our midst, it will cause the fear of God to come upon them. It will cause the fear of the Lord to come upon them. It's not just by your words. Yes, it's by the, the Word of God. The Word is Word that is life. Uh, but at the same point in time, the, you know, the Word of God is not just in word only, but in demonstration and in power. There needs to be word, yes, at the same point in time, there needs to be a demonstration of the power of God. And God has done these mighty works in the Old Testament through Joshua, Moses as well. And we're going to get into some of that. But, but, so that the, but he says here that the, all the peoples of the earth may know the hand of the Lord. How many of you know that our God is alive? He's not just out there somewhere. Jesus said that the kingdom of God is within you. Paul said that when we know his love, we will be filled to the very fullness of God. And, 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 and John writes, in John chapter 1, I think it's verse 16, of his fullness we have received, and grace for grace. We have received the fullness of God. We have received the fullness of the Godhead bodily. We have received the fullness of his spirit. We have been baptized. We have been emerged. We have been filled overflowing, as the Amplified says, with God himself. We have God. And we don't just have this God just so we have a relationship. Yes, that is core. Yes, that is foundational. Yes, that is one of the main things we teach. 
But we have a relationship with God, not just so we can be selfish in our own walk with God, but we have our own walk with God so that out of the overflow, in us and through His church, in and through His body, in and through His people, God can demonstrate His goodness. God can demonstrate the fruit of His Spirit, love, joy, peace, goodness, kindness, etc., and, 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 and so God wants to distinguish us. God wants to use us as we walk in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. We need to, in other words, again, when we're talking about the fear of the Lord, we're talking about a respect, an honor for God, a trusting of God, a reverence for God. We need to love and respect God more than we seek in a, the approval of men. One reason there is there's not a greater uh, fear of God, God's people are not manifesting His power and His glory to His fullness. I know this about my own life. And I, I, maybe I lost you there, because I kind of had two thoughts there, I kind of mingled together. I just know my own life. I, I know God can move. I, we have a whole Bible full of promises of how God has moved since creation. And he, Jesus said, we shall do greater works because he goes to the Father. What did he mean by that? Church, there is no other age that has ever experienced the finished work of the cross since the church age. Since the, 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 the death, burial, and resurrection and ascension of Christ, there has been no other <coughs> age that has experienced what we call the New Testament, what we call the New Covenant. What we call, the, 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 because of the finished work of the cross, we are in the new covenant. There, the, the new covenant didn't start with Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. The New Testament doesn't start with, with a chapter and a verse. The, without the cross, there is no covenant. The new covenant started at the cross. The covenant God made with man, we read this in Hebrews chapter 8, Hebrews chapter 10, the covenant that God made with man started at the cross. And we are in a new covenant because of the cross. But, but uh, no other age from Genesis to the cross did experience the fullness of the cross. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen. Hope I'm making sense with this. But when Jesus said, no greater work shall you do than these, because I go to the Father. When Jesus went to the Father, Jesus, who is the Word of God, the Word that became flesh, John chapter 1, verses 1 to 3, the Word of God became flesh. It says in Isaiah chapter 55, verse 11, that His Word will not return void. Jesus, the Word of God, came to earth to finish a plan of going to the cross. He was born to die. It says in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, that unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. This Jesus was born unto us, and this Jesus that was born unto us was born unto us so he could die, so that we could be in right relationship with God. God made a right relationship with us, and put us in right, he reconciled us to himself, it says in 2 Corinthians chapter uh, uh, 4 and 5, actually Chapter 5, verses 18 and 19. So I, I'm using a lot of scripture I didn't plan on using today. But God has reconciled us to, to himself. He who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And because of the cross, because of what Jesus did, we are right with God. And because we are right with God, no other age 
has never experienced the fullness of God. The, 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 I'm, I'm chopping my words up. No other age has experienced the, the finished work of the cross. At the same point in time, no other age has experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Joel prophesies, and, and Peter echoes it on the day of Pentecost, that, that God would pour out His Spirit upon all flesh. Yes, His Spirit is, wasn't, wasn't just born on the day of Pentecost. He's been with us since creation. But he's been here since eternity. He, uh, there is, he, is a, he is the beginning and the end. He's the Alpha and Omega. And at that same point in time, the Holy Spirit between Genesis and the, the Pentecost only, fell, only came upon people at certain points of time. There wasn't an outpouring upon all flesh. Only certain people and only certain times. But because of the cross, because Jesus, the Word of God, came... That's, I didn't finish that thought. He came, and it says in Isaiah that he does not return void. Jesus didn't return back to the Father. He didn't send back to the Father void of why he came. He came to die. And Jesus said, greater work shall you do than these, because I go to the Father. Jesus is going back to the Father. The Word of God is returning back to the Father because he's finishing what he did. Not only did he finish, it, not only did he finish the finished work of the cross, but he also gave us the Holy Spirit. And the early church, as they walked in the fear of the Lord, and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, were multiplied. Am I making sense this morning? We should be doing a great work. We, sh we should not be governed by society. Jesus said, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders. And as his government of uh, of peace, there shall be no end. We have an awesome God. Jesus also said in Revelation chapter 3, verses 9 and 10, <coughs> that God has redeemed us to himself as kings and priests that we should reign on the earth. God has redeemed us as kings and priests. We, have a, we are a royal priesthood. We are a holy nation. We are kings and priests. We have a job to do. And we have a job to go to set the captives free. I, I, I went off on this last week. The Spirit of God has been poured on us that we can heal the brokenhearted so that we can set the captives free. The church should not be dead. The church is not limited to, to, to a building. The, the church is not limited to denominational rules. Jesus said, by your traditions, you make the Word of God of no effect. We need to trust God. We need to respect and honor God. We need to honor Him and fear Him more than we fear man, more than we fear society. We need to trust God. We need to reverence God. And in the early church, they didn't just revolt against all the systems of the world. They didn't revolt against society. They only, but they were bold about preaching the, the gospel. They were bold about proclaiming God's good news and healing the sick and, and, and casting out demons and raising the dead. They were bold about doing and preaching the gospel. They were bold about what God told them to do no matter what man said. But regarding other things, they did not revolt. They obeyed the rules. They obeyed the laws until it contradicted what God had told them to do. And that was to preach the gospel. They were only persecuted because of preaching the gospel. They weren't persecuted because they were rebellious. There's a difference. That makes sense. Hopefully I'm making sense this morning. 
I got off on a lot of different tangents this morning. I'm trying to talk about how God, when His supernatural power, when, when people see the supernatural work of God in, their, in our lives, or in anyone's life, and when they see the supernatural work of God demonstrated, they will, they will, it will cause them to fear God. And one reason there is no, there's not a greater fear of God in the world, in society today, because God's people are not manifesting His power and His glory as we ought to be. It's time for the church to wake up. It's time for the church to return to the fear of God and respect Him and honor Him. We should be glorifying God in such a way that it causes the fear of God to fall on every people. Can I say that again? We should be glorifying God in such a way that it causes the fear of God <coughs> to fall on people. When people start seeing blind eyes open, when people start seeing people healed supernaturally, when people start seeing the dead being raised, when, God, God, when people start seeing lives being transformed, when, the, the, when people begin to see miracles after miracle after miracles, it will cause the fear of God to fall on people. I use many examples over the last few weeks when, when people like um, Daniel stood up. It made a difference in Darius, King Darius's life. When Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stood up, it, caught, it made a difference in King Nebuchadnezzar's life. When Joseph did what he did, it made a difference in Pharaoh and all the people. He saved nations. When David stood up, it, he ended the battle between Goliath and the Philistines and, and, and the nation of Israel. It changed lives. When Esther stood up, she changed, she saved her nation, her people. When we, we find it over and over again, when people did what God called them to do, when, they, when Joshua walked around the wall of Jericho seven days, and on the seventh day uh, gave a shout according to the word of God, despite what people thought, despite what maybe even he thought, it made a difference. When we have a fear of God, when we fear his word, when we respect His Word, when we honor His Word, when we honor God, it makes a difference. We, if we want to see the supernatural, if we want to, not just a one-time thing, but we want to walk in the supernatural, we want to walk in the, in, the, in the gifts and the callings of the Holy Spirit, we want to work in the manifestation of the Holy Spirit, then we need to fear God. And the first starts with a relationship with God. Jesus didn't even start his ministry until he was baptized in the Holy Spirit. Jesus didn't even start his ministry until he, unless he spent time with the Father. And as Jesus spent time with the Father, and by the baptism of the Holy Spirit, he did wonders. He, he healed the whole cities. He healed everyone who came to him, except for those who refused to believe. Those who refused to listen, like the Pharisees in certain cities that he went to, like <coughs> Nazareth and other cities that he went to, where he said he couldn't do many miracles there because of unbelief. <clears throat> Hopefully I'm saying a lot, you're hearing what I'm saying, but people need to recognize it's God with us. We're not here promoting Lighthouse Discipleship Center or Dave Everett Ministries or Dave Everett or Andrew Womack or anyone else. We're here magnifying God. God is our source. God is the one we're magnifying. And people need to recognize it's God who is with us. 
And, and, and these works that God was going to do in Joshua, and through Joshua, was going to let all the people know the hand of God. People need to see the hand of God. People need to see that God is alive. We are the light of the world. We are the salt of the earth. But many of us, including myself sometimes, we have not been standing out. We've been afraid of men. And we've not allowed our light to shine. We've, we, we've quenched from speaking the truth. Some of us. It is time for us to wake up. We're the light of the world. The world is dark. But the world's only dark because it's the absence of light. God never created darkness. He only created light. And scientifically speaking, light, darkness, is only the absence of light. The world is where they are because, uh, because they're, they're not... We have not turned the light on. It's time for us to turn the light on. We have not done our job as we should. The church is to be bold. We are to say in what we believe despite what others, how others treat us and how others like us. Turn with me back, backwards to Joshua chapter 3. Joshua chapter 3. I'm going to switch gears a little bit here. Joshua chapter 3, we'll pick it up in verse 7. It says, And the Lord said to Joshua, This day I will begin to exalt you. I believe the King James says, I will begin to distinguish you. In the sight of all Israel, that they may know that I, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. You shall command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant, saying, When you have come to the edge of the water of the Jordan, you shall stand in the Jordan. And so Joshua said to the children of Israel, Come here and hear the words of the Lord, your God. And Joshua said, By this you shall know that the living God is among you, and that he will without fail drive out before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, and the Hittites, and the Pesachites, and the all, and all these uh, are ites, okay? Even the termites, okay? Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is crossing over before you into the Jordan. Skip on down to chapter 4, verse 14, where we just were. I don't have time to read the whole context of the story, but Joshua 4.14 says, And on that day the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they feared him as they had feared Moses all the days of his life. Real quickly, uh, go with me to First Chronicles 14. I want to bring in one more scripture, and then I want to make some points here. First Chronicles 14. Verse 17 is the last verse of 1 Chronicles 14. We're talking about David, not Joshua. It says, And then the fame of David went out into all the lands, and the Lord brought the fear of him upon all nations. So here I'm, I'm switching gears just for a few moments. We've been talking about the fear of the Lord, but now we're talking about how the fear, of fear came on Joshua. And the fear came on David in and, 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 and behalf of the people. And I'm just making a side note here, but it's also, it's also relevant to where I want to go. God was going to, let's go back to Joshua just for a moment. God 
was going to magnify, exalt, distinguish the leadership of Joshua so that the fear of the Lord could come on all of Israel and all the other nations. Same thing with David. The Lord brought the fear of him upon all nations. God, here's my point. God will cause a fear over those God has led you to lead. Again, we're not talking about a fear of where they were afraid of David or they were afraid of Joshua. We're talking about respect. We're talking about honor. You can't lead those who don't respect you. I don't care if you're a parent. I don't care if you're a boss. I don't care if you're a politician or a, a, a government leader. I don't care if you're a pastor. I don't care uh, who you are. You cannot lead those who will not respect you and honor you. It's just a fact. Try herding cats. They don't respect you now. You can herd a dog. You can herd horses and have some animals. But a cat? Uh-uh. Uh-uh. You know, you can only lead those you respect. In other words, unless you get their respect and their honor, it will limit your influence. They will close you out. They won't listen to you. Even if they show up, they're not listening. Even if they were forced to listen. You can listen and not listen. You can force people to to be, um, the word I want to use, um, be compliant. But you can't force people to submit. Submission has to be a free will. It has to come from the heart. Here's my second point to this. Let God magnify you. Versus false humility. Let God magnify you. As parents, as bosses, and I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not excluding any authority you may have in certain realms. But let God give you wisdom and counsel and advice by His Spirit so that you can get their respect and honor. I understand some people will not respect and honor no matter what you do. And some people, because you desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, Paul says in Colossians, you will serve, suffer persecution. Some people will hate you because they hate Christ. Some people, uh, there's all kinds of different, different, different things. But go with me real quick here to, to Psalm 35. Psalm 35, verse 27. Let them shout for joy and be glad who favor my righteous cause. And let them say continually, let the Lord be magnified, who has pleasure in the prosperity of his servants. There's a lot here. But God says, let, God be, let the Lord be magnified, who has pleasure in the prosperity of his servants. I'm not just talking, and I don't believe this context is just talking about financial prosperity. It also doesn't exclude financial prosperity. I'm not magnifying financial prosperity, but I'm also not excluding it. I believe God wants us to be successful. Abraham was successful. Jacob was, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph were successful. And they were all financially successful. They said, if you read the, 
<coughs> the book of Genesis, they were exceedingly rich. David was successful. Solomon, when he followed the Lord, was successful. Joshua was successful. Esther was successful. Ruth was successful. And you go throughout, they were prosperous. They were not just prosperous financially. They might not have started that way, but they were prosperous in their heart, their emotions. They were prosperous in many, many ways. All of them went through hard times. All of them went through difficulties and challenges and heartbreaking stuff. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but God would deliver them out of them all. Just because they're prosperous doesn't mean they didn't go through things. But there's a difference between going through something and overcoming it versus going through something and being defeated by it. Job, it didn't, it didn't, it started out well, it didn't go so well, and then it ended better than it was. You read most of the book of Job and he would think he wasn't successful at all. And yet he came out victorious. He came out better than he was before all that calamity began to happen. He was successful. He was prosperous. Yes, there were seasons where all these men and women were, didn't, didn't look like they were successful. But they were prosperous. And God takes pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. I want to be prosperous. I want to be prosperous as a husband. I want to be prosperous as a pastor. I want to be prosperous in what God wants me to do. But i got to walk in the fear of the Lord. i got to respect and honor him. i got to respect and honor his word. I need to have a relationship with God. And out of this relationship with God, out of this prosperity He wants to, to, to pour into your life and work in your life, let God distinguish you. Let, let people begin to see, because as you walk in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, let them begin to see there's something different about you. And it's not you. It's God in you. It's the fear of the Lord. It's His presence. But let me just say this, and I've said this before. Most of us, if we were arrested for being a Christian, there would not be enough evidence to convict us. Some of us, or most of us, are just as sick as the world. Some of us are just as poor as the world. Some of us are just as mad and angry as the world. Some of us are just as depressed and discouraged as the world. Now, in and of themselves, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with us. I'm not condemning you because you're sick. I'm not condemning you. But we have an answer. Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I've been there where it just seems like it keeps getting worse and worse and there's not breakthrough. I've been there. But there's an answer. God didn't give it to you. God didn't give you sickness. God didn't give you calamity. God didn't give you uh, all these things that cause you to be discouraged and depressed and mad and angry. God has given you a spirit, not a spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. You know, I think it was an annual Walmart conference, and I forget which conference it was, but he had asked the congregation or the people in attendance how many of them were discouraged. And 80-90% of them raised their hands. These are spirit-filled Christians. And I understand getting discouraged. I think we've all been discouraged. And I've been discouraged. I've been discouraged this week in major ways. 
But we need to find a place where in God. Where we don't just live in that discouragement. Where we become the head and not the tail. We become above and not beneath. That we are the people of God. David was discouraged. You read the Psalms, you can hear his discouragement. But he didn't stay there. He came out. I understand discouragement. Discouragement can be a paralytic. Peter, it said that he was tired and discouraged because he'd been fishing all night and caught nothing. Some of us have been praying for breakthrough because of healing, finances, or other things. And we've been gone tired and discouraged but because we can't been fishing all night and have caught nothing. You know every single fish story they talk about Peter, he didn't catch anything? Unless Jesus told him what to do? Whether it was this story I'm talking about right now, or the story in John chapter 21 that was similar to the story I'm talking about, or it was the time when he went to go fishing to get a coin out of the fish's mouth to pay the taxes. That was the only successful fish stories we have is when Jesus told him to do it. That's just a little side note. That's free. Okay. But Jesus, but Peter was discouraged. Peter came into the boat, his boat, and he told Peter, launch out into the deep and let down the nets for a catch. He didn't tell him, just go launch out to the deep and come out empty. But launch out into the deep and let their nets down for a catch. Now Peter had already been tired, he'd been discouraged. He just watched his nets. He just watched them. After catching nothing. He's tired, he's discouraged, he's hungry. He wants some fish. But, and he also goes, you fish at night, not during the day. I don't know all the reasons. My reasoning, they can see the nets. But I don't know all the reasons. That's just me, uh, uh, who doesn't even know anything about fishing. I haven't fished since I was five. But, I love the words of Peter. I'm, I'm quoting from Luke 15. He says, I'm tired, I'm discouraged, I've caught nothing. I'm paraphrasing the story. He says, but nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the nest. And I love how it goes that he and his partners were astonished at the catch of fish. God, you might be tired, you might be discouraged, you might need to see your breakthrough. You've always come up empty. We can change the story to John chapter 21 where he comes to Peter again when he's tired, discouraged because he denied the Lord three times and he says, cast your net on the other side of the boat. And I'm like, even if he had a cruise liner, how come there's more fish on that side of the boat than this side of the boat? What's the difference between what side of the boat you're on? Can't they, can't they float underneath the boat? But it wasn't so much about where the fish were, or even what Peter did. It was that he feared God's word more than he feared his own reasoning. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. God, and they were astonished at the catch of fish. Church, God wants you and the world around you to be astonished at the work of God is going to do in our life. You know, people have tried to take 
us down in our ministry, in our church. They've done, they've tried that even this week in many different ways. <clears throat> now I've got to say something that's going to probably sound arrogant to some people. But I'm ready to let God distinguish us. And show, and it's not going to be us, but it's going to be God. And to, in one sense, to kind of throw it in their faces. And that's just me talking. To show them God is with us. Because God's not done with us. I'm not going to do it. Can't be, it can't be trying to be manipulating this or anything. It's got to be God. But God is going to do a work that is going to astonish not only us, but those who hear us. Not to give attention to us, not to give, not to put us on a pedestal, but to bring glory and honor and majesty to our King and our God. To do what God's called us to do in this church, in this ministry, and that is to, to, to cause people to Get people established in their identity, equipped in His Word, and empowered to fulfill their destiny. That has been our vision from the beginning. We want people to be established in their identity in Christ, equipped in His Word, and empowered to fulfill their destiny. And the enemy has tried to take us out many different ways. But if God is with us, who can be against us? And so anyway, I got off on some things, but the, let me go back to my notes here for a moment. Most of us are not appropriating what God has for us. I know I haven't always. Sometimes I've got discouraged, and sometimes I've got my eyes on the storm and got my eyes off Jesus. And because of that, because I have the fear of man instead of the fear of God at times, I haven't manifested to its full potential all that God has for me. But we, church, we should be standing out. Even if we have to go through things like Joseph and, and, and Daniel and David, the heartache that he went through, Peter and other things, we need to let God use us. Because why? We're alive and we're not dead. God is alive and he's not dead. Church, you should be able to tell the difference between something that's alive and versus something that's dead. Can I get an agreement? Can you tell, can you, should you not be able to tell the difference between something that's alive versus something that's dead? And, you know, one of the things that has always turned me off all my life is dead religion. That has always been the most negative turn off I've ever had. When it comes to sales, when it comes to selling anything, if it's a facade, if it's fake, if it's glamorous, if it's, so, 